Thank you for joining us today. Our guest is Svetlana Nilskaya, uh, Director of Global Solutions Strategy and Sales Support at CoreSearch. In this episode, Svetlana and I are going to discuss blockchain domains, NFT marketplaces, and the monitoring and takedown services offered by CoreSearch, how big is the Web3 project, and a discussion on AI usage in Web3, and how this will impact the future of this sector. Without further ado, let's begin. Hi, Svetlana. Let's um, let's have a look at uh, blockchain domains uh, from the core searchers' perspective. What do you guys see as blockchain domains? You know, use cases. How they're different from traditional domain, and how have you seen a lot of infringement? Sure. Um... Should we uh, start with a simplified definition of what blockchain domains <laughs> are for our listeners? It's always a fun Sounds one. Good. <laughs> always a fun one to try to describe. But um, blockchain domains are domain names that are registered, uh, managed, and operate on decentralized network or a blockchain. So they essentially live on the same technology as uh, cryptocurrencies and. NFTs. Um, and uh, right now, I, I think it's fair to say that blockchain domains are used mostly by cryptocurrency users or crypto savvy users, but they have been growing in popularity. Um, and um, I think one of the recent stats that I saw by um, Ethereum name service, um, they reported that um, over 2.2 million .eth domains have been registered in 2022. Um, that's a large amount, and that's just .eth, right? So there are various um, extensions um, that blockchain domains can have. It's .crypto, um, you know, dot, I don't remember now what they are. They all relate to sort of this crypto space. Um, but, uh, and also, you know, what are the uses of blockchain domains today, right? So um, I think there's they, they can be used. There, there's a, a number of ways you can use a blockchain domain. Uh, they can be used to create a digital identity. They can be used to uh, build dis decentralized apps on top of it. Um, but I think the two primary uses of blockchain dom domains um, that um, are gaining our focus is uh, well, they are used. They can be used pretty much as um, a human-readable name for a crypto wallet, um, in a very similar way as you know a traditional domain. You would also know how to find a domain by its name, right, rather than the IP address where um, it's hosted. So, in a similar way, blockchain domain is used so you can find or identify a crypto wallet in a um, simplified way. Um, and um, another way you can use a blockchain domain is to build a decentralized website. Um, and uh, the content of these websites, they live on the decentralized systems such as um, IPFS rather than uh, you know, centrally located server uh, as in the case of a traditional domains. Um, so I would say there, are, and, and if we talk about, okay, what's the really 
difference and the benefits between the blockchain domain versus a traditional domain, um, I think the notable advantages <laughs> or I guess it can be viewed as an advantages, but then it poses problems for us um, of a blockchain domain is first the ownership and the decentralization of them. Um, right. So what it means is once you own the blockchain domains, uh, the user or the owner of the domain really controls um, what happens with that domain. They are the owners. Uh, they um, don't rely on the third party intermediaries to manage or you know transfer ownership of that domain, um, which in traditional domains, um, you do involve a number of intermediaries uh, that regulate the space. Um, and this yeah. doesn't happen um, with a, with the blockchain domains. Yeah. Um, I think I think the the one that's the, the 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 one that's got the most coverage at the moment is is the wallet identifier. Um, that's where .eth is the forefront or the for, you know the leader in that particular sector because they came up with the idea originally. Uh, you've got unstoppable domains where you can get ten extensions. You know they vary from .crypto, NFT, X, uh, blockchain, Bitcoin, etc. .eth is the one that originally came up with the concept. You know, let's uh, let's find a way to make that nonsensical address more easy for people to understand and utilize. Um, and that's where they created uh, the, the 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 ability to register a name so it can be used as a wallet name, uh, which is quite cool. Um, it is from cool. an infringement <laughs> perspective. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. No, exactly. It is cool, but we wouldn't be having this podcast, right, if it wasn't uh, being exploited by some of the bad actors. <laughs> correct. Yes, 100% correct. Yeah. Um, so, so from an infringement side, what do you guys, what do you guys see, you know, quite common? Or is, is there a common thread or trend or what do you actually see from, from the infringement perspective? Um, yes, absolutely. So the blockchain domains, um, is not a, a very new concept, uh, but it really came under our radar when we've developed um, the solution for NFT marketplace monitoring. So when we've started looking at NFT marketplaces, um, we've noticed that uh, these blockchain domains, because they are they represent the digital assets, they can be. Um, bought and sold and traded. So we, we saw a large number of these domains being offered on NFT marketplaces. And um, we've observed um, the sale of NFT domains that feature IP owners, trademarks without their authorization. And of course, this is problematic. Earlier, we've discussed, you know, the NFT domains can be used to create digital identities. They link to crypto wallets. They can be used to create websites and so on. Um, so they they are the, the infringing domains pose really high risk of potential uh, scams. Um, the these bad actors they use them to impersonate brands, businesses for scam and phishing purpose, uh, purposes. Um, and it's particularly problematic at, say, for financial businesses, um, even though we have seen pretty much every industry uh, that we work with being affected by this. 
um, and um, you know they are closely associated with these crypto scams. Um, and you know I believe the damage from crypto scams in 2022 was over three billion uh, U.S. dollars. Yeah. It's uh, a quite quite a problematic uh, activity. You did mention something which is very interesting, which is the NFT marketplaces and core searches um, monitoring enforcement solution. Do you do you want to give us a little bit of a, 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 a rundown or a breakdown of what that service is and 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 how it actually works? Um, yes, of course. So um, we have developed a solution that specifically addresses IP challenges that you know brands and IP owners face on NFT marketplaces. Um, so this means that IP owners can detect, analyze, enforce, and report instances of IP infringement um, using our platform. Um, currently, we cover five major NFT marketplaces. I'd say that the most problematic being OpenSea, um, followed by Reverable and Mintable. And we also uh, work on relationships uh, with NFT marketplaces and you know other Web3 platforms and service providers such as um, Unstoppable Domains um, on reactive as well as proactive solutions for um, IP infringement. And and how are you finding explaining to clients in particular? Because this is something that we we get asked a lot is that there is no the 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 only way that you can move the name from uh, from one party to another party, if you're successful in getting that name, is by that other party agreeing to transfer the name to you, or the name is burnt. So it's put into that that wallet. That means that nobody can ever utilize that particular NFT or blockchain domain, which is an NFT at the end of the day. How how are you how are you finding clients taking that particular bit of bad news? I guess if you want to call it that. Um, yes, that's that's a very good point that you're raising because because I think it's important to note that you know the decision to remove an NFT from an NFT marketplace does not actually remove an NFT uh, from the blockchain, right? Or an NFT or a blockchain domain from the blockchain itself or any other platform, you know, where it may appear. And the deleting that NFT or um, blockchain domain from the blockchain can only be done by a party possessing the NFT in their wallet. Um, so I think there, there's two things here. Um, it, first, when we enforce um, on NFTs from the NFT marketplaces, that does an important thing of removing um, that asset from the visibility of consumers and eliminating um, that risk of someone purchasing it, um, maybe you know mistake, mistakenly or otherwise. Um, so I think it's very important to, because the, the NFT marketplaces are still viewed as the most uh, consumer-facing platforms out there. So once you eliminate that visibility, um, what you can do with that NFT or blockchain domain becomes quite limited. Of course, if you do want to go through that process of you know, destroying it or maybe acquiring it, 
um, that's a decision that needs to be made by by the brand, um, whether it's you know the they invest because it it tends to be there's there's a certain investment that goes with it, <laughs> um, and it's really up to them. Um, you know how they would want to proceed, but uh, and, and we do see uh, some brands going through that length of uh, acquiring it. Um, but um, usually, um, you know, ninety percent of the issues um, can be resolved by just removing limited access to the visibility of that asset. And you you mentioned the the marketplaces now OpenSea I like to refer to them as the eBay of the uh, of the Web three world because they are the biggest by far of the the marketplaces out there and they have a pretty a pretty robust process that's available for brand owners to to get a name or, or NFT or blockchain domain removed from a listing. Um, how are you finding the other ones like Rarible, Mintable, and and those other those other uh, uh, marketplaces that you deal with, are you finding them quite challenging to 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 get uh, NFTs and blockchain domains, you know, taken off of, of off of a listing? So I think we have uh, close to you know one hundred percent of um, success rate of takedowns on those five NFT marketplaces um, that I've mentioned. Um, a very small percentage of um, NFTs reported, um, you know, have not been removed, or we had a pushback on uh, due to the issues raised around fair or artistic use. Um, so, just to give you an overview of the enforcement uh, process, um, when IP infringement is detected, it's um, commonly reported to the NFT. Uh, platform through some sort of established IP reporting channels. And all of those platforms that um, I've mentioned, they have some sort of channels um, for you to be able to submit that infringe, uh, infringement report. Um, we 86% um, of all of notices that we submit are based on trademark infringement. Um, and um, they are uh, the trademarks we tend to use are based on classes nine and 35. Um, and, you know, the rest sometimes use um, other well-known trademarks um, registered in other classes. And sometimes we also find that um, being successful. Um, so I think overall compliance is good, I think. But the challenge that we have is just overwhelming number of infringements found. So um, I think we have another customer um, for for that customer in uh, footwear and apparel. I think our enforcement figures are about 100,000 of infringing NFTs reported per month. Uh, they just give you uh, like a, the, the sense of the scale of the problem. So I think the next step is not only having a channel to report it to the platform, but rather having some proactive steps taken by the platform to prevent these uh, from being listed in the first place. Um, we have had some discussions with um, with OpenSea. Um, so OpenSea, um, want to adopt uh, an image uh, 
matching uh, algorithms that would um, allow to prevent certain NFTs, certain images um, that are registered with them from being listed. Um, so that that's one of the examples. One of the example of these proactive solutions. I know that um, unstoppable domains um, also for a certain time also allows um, trademark owners to block certain uh, trademarks from being registered um, within the space. Um, uh, so and and I think that's where we that's what we want to see. We want to see more of that. But of course, these platforms are you know, quite young, you're talking about just a few years, and it's just recently that they started to understand the the impact of uh, this IP infringement that, uh, than they have. And uh, I, I don't think they, they quite considered it when they were launching it. Um, so we have to also be patient with them while they learn, but it's that's why it's very important to actually be in active conversations with them because not only the brands should be educating these platforms about the issues that they're facing, but also providers like us who already done this on, you know, on social media platforms, on uh, marketplaces, we can sort of share with them some of the best practices as well. Yeah, that's that's actually a, that's a good point that, you know, sharing best practices with with the five at the moment, it might what might also be easier or, or more more effective is to have a, a centralized database. I'm not suggesting we have a TMCH or any of that type of thing from the Web2 environment, but some kind of centralized database where they can plug into that to to get information from, and then that way make it easier for them to you know block terms from being registered being shown on their on their particular platforms. Um, you know that might be one way to go in the future um but that is a long term long time away i think i don't think that's going to be a a solution that's going to happen suddenly but it's a yes the solution to decentralization is the centralization <laughs> that's actually 100 percent correct you know which kind of defeats the object of what web3 was set up to be which is decentralized but sometimes if you want brands to play in your environment you need to you need to be able to protect brands. Otherwise, brands aren't going to play in your environment because at the end of the day, they don't want to have, you know, they've worked very hard to to create that brand image, um, and they don't want that brand image to be, you know, smeared by some individual who thinks they can make a quick buck. Um, so it might end up being a a little bit of a decentralized centralized type of environment. But we'll have to wait and see. I mean, time will tell, really. Um, I guess the next thing is, you know, how how big is the Web3 project for Core Search? I mean, you know, are you is this something that you see that is starting to grow as people become more aware of it, um, and and it's becoming bigger, um, or you know, is it just really in its infancy stage at this present moment in time? Um, so I think the, the biggest area of investment for us within the Web3 um, has been NFT marketplaces. Um, and, uh, you know, we have seen the IP infringement associated with NFTs lead to things like brand delusion, revenue loss, 
consumer trust issues. They also majorly under, undermine business strategy um, and IP value of the brands, and especially the ones that are also looking into entering um, the space. Um, I've also, you know, mentioned that the level of IP infringement we have observed on NFT marketplaces is uh, much, often much higher than we see on other more traditional digital channels like marketplaces, um, for example. Um, so it has been an important area for us to to monitor, um, and also because of the NFTs, just in the in um, it just gained a popularity. Um, with everyone, right? So it's it's one of those areas that maybe not everyone uh, fully understands it, um, but it, it, it's quite an, a visible to consumer area. So it's important to protect. Um, and we do see um, a lot of brands now um, do do monitor and want to, and we we have a lot of customers that are in the space and um, have their own um, NFTs, um, which is great because entering uh, the space early and establishing a presence within the Web3 allows the consumer also to differentiate between something that's authentic versus not, um, so which is a great thing, um, and. Another um, area with, that we're looking at within the sort of Web3 umbrella um, is metaverse-like platforms. Um, so when we talk about metaverse, and I'm sure you've already had some discussions about the, the metaverse, it's such a big topic on its own, uh, but really um, it's it's a broad application of various technologies um, of uh, that represent really involvement of what internet is, and they are rooted in things like blockchain, but also you know VR and AR. Um, uh, and uh, so one, you know, the, there's there's one that I like to mention, uh, which is Roblox. Um, and Roblox is a metaverse-like platform. It's not uh, strictly Web3 or decentralized, but it does have a similar digital economy within the platform where you have your digital experiences, but the big economy, uh, economy on Roblox is actually selling digital assets uh, and trading digital assets for uh, avatars. Um, and um, I think Roblox reported over one billion in game spending, and a lot of it is, you know, purchasing outfits for your avatars and accessories for your avatars. And we also do see uh, brands entering the space, as well as just you know other uh, more opportunistic uh, developers trying to uh, exploit brands to. To monetize on this activity, so I think that's that's another area that's on our mind um, uh, within the Web three umbrella is to how do you address these metaverse like platforms, um, and the advice that I always like to give to the brands when we talk about the Web three is first to you know consider uh, putting together your internal Web three focused uh, task, uh, task force responsible for keeping up with the, this fast-moving 
Web3 technologies and, you know, includes your legal and brand protection teams um, if you can. Like we have um, within the core search um, a Web3 task force, which I'm a, a part of. Um, second, consider your own Web3 strategy, right? So we've mentioned, you know, establishing your own presence allows you to gain to gain this genuine brand recognition among the Web3 users, um, which your brand can benefit from. Um, I think an, another important area is make sure you audit your IP portfolio um, to see if you have any gaps in your um, of your brand in the digital space, right? So classes 9, 35, 41. I've mentioned that we rely on those to actually do successfully enforce on. And, you know, every now and then a platform would accept um, another well-known trademark. But as the space develops and becomes more established, I think that the use of those is going to be, become more stricter. Um, so that's very important to get your to do your IP audit. Um, uh, we've uh, also talked about uh, the relationships with these platforms, with Web3 platforms that are important so you can educate them and you can benefit from some of the proactive tools that they're offering. Um, and of course, yes, like team up with uh, forward thinking partners, you know, um, like Comlada, I know you guys do a lot, of, a lot of good stuff within within the blockchain domain space and the Web three, um, you know, uh, because it's it's definitely a very important area to uh, to look after. Absolutely, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, it is a it's a growing area and it's in its infancy stages, but it's going to be it's going to grow quite substantially over the next few years. And thing to remember is that a lot of the times the uh, I think the older generation I'm one of those uh, as you can tell by the, the you can't see the screen but I've got a grey beard um, the 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 older generation tend to be less feel less secure in in going into Web three environments whereas the gen the younger generation because of Roblox Minecraft and all that kind of thing they're kind of used to that whole concept of that community style of 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 gathering together you know in a, in some metaverses like decentraland and the sandbox insomnium that's why they're growing because people are getting older the ones that were the younger ones and now they've got disposable income you know so it's it's a good place for them to go and uh, to go and play um, Absolutely. Uh, like you, you've mentioned, you know, the younger generation. So if Roblox alone has uh, over 40 million visitors every day, and I think like close to 90% of those are under 16 years old. Um, and so like within Gen Z, like this, um, and Roblox is more about your digital identities that are important. And the, with, with another, the Web3, when we looked, I think, at the, the um, who were the primarily target demographic for um, NFTs, those are millennials. <laughs> so also, also very important uh, group. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and there's one thing you know we've we've spoken we haven't spoken about this on the call yet but we had our when we were talking before but ai how how is core search seeing you know ai being used or how do you see yourselves using ai within the 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 enforcement aspect of of the web3 environment 
Yes, so AI has been also such a popular topic uh, lately, right? Um, and I think it's just such an exciting technology uh, in so many ways. Um, so naturally, our product team, and here I have to give a shout out to Helen Saunders, who is our absolute uh, our product leader, um, they they were uh, they are they they have been looking at um, AI and uh, machine learning for a while, and uh, considering how we can um, implement it within our systems and technologies to make um, to to first uh, to make the detection and enforcement uh, more efficient. Right. So how how can we benefit from these technologies, how our customers can benefit from these technologies? So um, I think what one important area um, our product team is looking at is obviously natural language processing. So looking when we detect something, you know, the the really style of writing and understanding um, can we by looking at the style of writing, um, understand what things are likely to be linked. So um, with that, we we use that uh, within the uh, network analysis. So um, I should probably explain what a network analysis is, is um, when we collect the data and um, from the internet. Network analysis um, allows us to visualize how networks operate together. So rather than you looking at, uh, you know, isolated instances of, let's say, then an open sea, right, um, listing or collection, it looks more wider. It's like, how does what else does that point to, right? What other platforms these users are advertising on? Where else do they appear? So that's where that's where network analysis comes together, and um, it looks at uh, you know hard pieces of data such as maybe contact uh, details, maybe like. I don't know, wallet and addresses if we're talking about the Web3. Um, but the, the, the where AI comes in is also looking at, you know, other, um, uh, you know, style of writing, let's say, that maybe they use and saying these are also likely to be connected because they're so similar. Um, so that that's one use. And another use, we also use quite a lot of, you know, AI algorithms in um, our images and image interpretation. Um, so um, finding similar images. So here we're not talking about the um, uh, exact image matching or maybe just abstracted images that are the same. Um, they are you know, looking for similar uh, images and if they display similar products, right? So, um, it, uh, or one very cool thing that they started looking at is actually understanding the images uh, background. Um, so they've noticed that um, in, uh, you know, brand protection and counterfeiting, you would have these catalogs of images that are all, all being shot at the same location. So, they, the AI algorithms can actually understand that background and say these are all likely linked because they all share the same um, background of the location, which which is um, really really cool. So it's all uh, allows us for sort of to enhance our enforcement and prioritization. 
that definitely sounds exciting. I will be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah, Web3 is an exciting thing, but AI is now becoming the, uh, the next, the next uh, flavor of the, of the year. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how AI is implemented by organizations, etc. So um, it's going to be a very interesting time for us all going forward. Yes, and uh, it's I I love to. There's there's lots of AI tools available there right now already. Um, and as they there's been some articles recently that they say, oh, you know, AI is not going to take your job. Is those people who use AI and those organizations who adopt AI, there's they're the ones that are going to succeed in this environment. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Svetlana, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, it was uh, it was great to talk to you and 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 get a get a good understanding of where Core Search uh, fits within the uh, Web three ecosphere. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. If you have any additional questions or would like to have a chat with us, please send an email to web three at comlado.com, and we will get back in touch with you. If you want to hear more interesting discussions on Web3, follow our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube.